Hi, you're very welcome to Surfing the Sixes and the Sevens, our weekly podcast from Development Plus comprising of community-based chat with residents and partners working with people who are living in Sinsel Bank and Lincoln here in the UK. If you like what you hear, please share the podcast link with your family and friends and colleagues and leave a heartwarming review. Enjoy today's episode. Hi, and today I'm thrilled to welcome Steve Jackson as my guest on Surfing the Sixes and Sevens. Steve is a skilled and experienced communicator, having worked for the County Council for many years, heading their comms team. He has also found a fantastic outlet for his skills in music. Infused by a love of all things originating in the so-called British invasion of the US, spearheaded by the Beatles, Stones and Kinks in the 60s, Steve has gone on to play a huge variety of different types of music in a multitude of different settings since. A long-term media involvement as music columnist for the Grimsby Evening Telegraph and the Lincolnshire Echo has seen him chart and chat with many professional musicians as their tours wound their way through this fabulous part of the country. As well as cultivating his own interests, as we will hear, Steve is a great encourager of other musicians via his interests in songwriting, busking, live performance, and also his encouraging, open and welcoming personality. Creator of opportunities for others, and always with a finger on the pulse of the local, varied and wonderful regional music scene, Steve Jackson, it's great to have you aboard as my guest on today's Surfing the Sixes and Sevens. Great to chat with you, Steve, and I know that our um, listeners are going to be really interested in what you want to share with us today. So uh, did you mind if I just kind of kicked us off by just asking where it was you were born and brought up? I was born in Cleethorpes in the mid-50s. When I was six months old, uh, my parents emigrated to uh, Canada. Uh, it was during the time where uh, countries like the Commonwealth, like uh, Canada and Australia, were looking for tradespeople to go over. And my dad was a bricklayer. And uh, sort of six, month after, six months after being born, we, was, we set sail for Edmonton, Alberta. And how old were you when you came back to the UK, Steve? I was 11. I just remember um, it was the year of England winning the World Cup. So I remember that pretty well. Uh, watched it on a black and white TV and uh, came here back in uh, to Lincolnshire, December of uh, 66. And what was it like coming back into the UK at that stage for um, a young lad of 11? Uh, it was a culture shock. I, uh, Canada is a young country, so um, quite modern in, in respects. Um, and I remember going when uh, my mum took me to uh, Barcroft Street School in Cleethorpes. It looked like Tom Brown's school days to me. Inkwells, coal fires, uh, these little bottles of milk at uh, break time. So it was quite a, quite a thing. And, of course, I had... Um, a Canadian accent, which people thought was American. So I was kind of a little bit uh, different uh, from the other pupils. So I think I was a bit of a novelty to start with. 
Yeah, it sounded like a good bit of settling in to do to acclimatise. The other thing I should mention, of course, is, you know, things like history and sport. I know nothing about English history at all. I know a bit about Canadian history, American Civil War, that type of thing. But I knew nothing about that. And as for sport, I'd, I'd never played football ever. Um, mine was, you know, ice hockey, uh, what you call American football, that type, and a little bit of baseball. I'd never done any English kind of, you know, cricket or football. So I was a bit odd in that, you know, I didn't really know the rules or anything. I ended up playing in goal to start with anyway. So a lot of change then at that stage in your life. Yeah, it was it was a big change, but it was you know exciting as well. Uh, we lived with my gran um, to start with until we bought a house. But uh, yeah, it was kind of an adventure. You know, I was expecting to be honest. Um, you know, because I was aware of you know London and swinging London in the sixties and Carnaby Street, even though I was only eleven. So I kind of thought, oh, it's all going to be like that, and of course. Terrace, uh, tightly packed terrace streets in Cleethorpes. Uh, it wasn't like that, you know. And even the buses weren't red; they they were blue. So it was it was a little bit of a kind of culture shock slash adventure, all in one. Yeah, and um, had music um, been part of your life before you left Canada? Then had you started to develop this lifelong interest in music at that stage, or was it something that primarily developed after you'd come to the UK? You must remember, Ian, I was only six months old when I went to Canada, so I'm not even conscious of any memories until I was probably about three. Um, so it, uh, it, it really started in um, Canada. Mainly, I remember listening uh, in the car on the radio, um, out with my dad, and the Beatles came on, that type of thing. Um, I'm talking kind of, I'm going to say 1963 or something. And um, so I started becoming aware of, you know, bands like the Beatles and the Stones that he mentioned earlier. And I think because I was British as well, I just felt some kind of, you know, connection with it. Uh, my parents, uh, not musical at all. And uh, so there's nothing in the genes that would... Uh, sort of uh, activate this interest in music. Um, and I just kind of got into it and started paying attention to it. And, of course, in uh, Canada, USA, British invasion of uh, bands was sort of prolific. So I just kind of, you know, started listening to uh, some of the records. I didn't have a record player or anything, mainly through the radio. And TV was quite a big thing. So we used to watch the Ed Sullivan show. Of course, the Beatles um, appeared on there, their first kind of appearance and uh, broke TV records for viewing figures and that type of thing. So it was all kind of very exciting. Um, and I just kind of, for whatever reason, I just got a bit sort of hooked on, on that excitement. Brilliant. And do you remember what the motivation was around first picking up a guitar? Motivation was, I mean, I always, so from that time, um, you know, I'd had this interest in music and records or just liking music, not knowing how to play it. And it was really at school, um, you know, forming a band. I'd be uh, 16 at this time. Um, so a bit like senior school, uh, getting together. A mate of mine, uh, Paul Johnson, uh, sadly no longer around, but uh, had an electric guitar. 
and uh, also an acoustic, and he lived close to me, and I remember just inviting me around one night. We were chatting about music, and I just kind of got a bit hooked on, well, oh, quite like to play the guitar. I didn't know anything about it and even where to start. Um, so I kind of threw the influence of getting together with a friend and then, you know, playing some songs or trying to learn some songs and I'd do a bit of singing, this type of thing. Um, and then eventually another school friend joined in who played bass and uh, we kind of carried on um, practicing, you know, in front rooms and my dad, you know, banging on the wall saying, will you turn that down? Um, I'm sure you've maybe suffered from that. I don't know, but uh, uh, all that kind of thing. Um, blooming heck, Jacker, what is that racket? Um, I would get, you know, shouted down the uh, from the front room. Um, and it sort of carried on. And then we uh, thought, right, we've got, we've got a bit of a group. We need to play somewhere. So it was then kind of, you know, getting the um, first gig. I mean, our first sort of gig, we did get paid a, a sort of turning up fee, was in a front room of... Um, in, in Grimsby, in a house in Grimsby, a small front room. I do remember going to this. And we set up the whole, you know, we had our amplifiers, small PA, drum kit. We said, <laughs> I mean, goodness knows what it sounded like to neighbours, but uh, and, uh, we're playing odd things, you know, by Slade and what have you. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that was kind of the start of it. And then after that, um, through an agent, a well-known agent in Grimsby, a guy called Don Carroll, um, most bands eventually, if you were serious and you wanted to get paid and you wanted to play in places, you needed to go through an agent because they had the monopoly uh, on on the uh, gigs and bookings. So uh, I'd contacted an agent, um, or the agent, I should say, Don. Uh, right, Steve, so what was the band called and, and how did you go about um, getting regular paid work in the Cleethorpe Grimsby area? It was called Larry Lightning and the Electric Shocks. Uh, there was no Larry Lightning, by the way, but I, for some reason we kind of would, you know, coming up with names and that one kind of popped in. We shortened it to Shocks, S-H-O-C-K-S. Again, probably an inappropriate name because it wasn't anything that probably gives the impression it's something shocking or whatever or some kind of Alice Cooper thing or something, which wasn't the case at all. Um and uh, we got in touch with, there was a local agent in Grimsby, Don Carroll, who basically um, had the say on all bookings in pubs and clubs virtually. So if you wanted to do a proper paid gig, um, you'd have to go through him. So I uh, made an approach to him, uh, you know, phone call. And he said, yeah, I'll out. Because he'd always offer, uh, I mean, he'd never heard of us or seen us or anything. Um, and they would all, he would always offer bands, you know, one gig to start with, see how, see how he got on. Uh, and uh, it was the, at the ABM Club in Louth, and we trundled off there, sort of made a day of it on a Saturday. And uh, the guy um, who ran the club liked us. And uh, on the Monday, Don Carroll was on the phone saying, yeah, that was uh, he did, did pretty good there. Um, so I'll send you some other dates through, um, and it will detail... Uh, you know, cash on the night or we'll send you a check in the post, that type of thing. So I'm talking about, you know, the like £40 a night type gigs split, you know, four ways plus petrol and all that. Um, so that's that's kind of how it kicked off. And then we did quite a few with uh, Don Carroll. Yeah. And um, 
they were they were that was mainly a covers band, was it? Did you did you get into songwriting yourself around that time, or did that come later? It was pretty much a covers band, um, but I always had a thing about right from the get go of trying to get an original song in there, just something about the creative process I enjoyed. So there'd always be you know one or two, but if you were playing pubs and clubs, really you had to do covers. So we we were choosing covers um, that we liked. Um, so uh, I'm just trying to think, you know, we did a cross-section of uh, things. I, I like the birds. So we, would, we did one or two of their numbers and uh, some old sort of rock and roll-y things, just, just a cross-section to appeal to as wide as possible bread, as I remember something we did, um, and some unusual kind of cover versions of bands we liked, which probably weren't heard that often on the on the circuit. So uh, that, that's how that started. Brilliant. And how did it um, progress from there then to the point where you actually had one of your tracks played on John Peel? Well, um, I'd sort of gone from that band. Uh, the thing about me with bands is I, di- I didn't... Um, I found after, you know, six months or something, I got a little bit kind of um, wanderlust or whatever, or tired or wanted to try something else or a different type of music. So um, I've kind of gone through one. I joined a band called Bankrupt. I used to, I'd written a song called um, 24 Hour Love, a ballad, pop ballad, uh, with one of the guys in the band, Nigel Young, who we, sort of formed a bit of a songwriting partnership um so i always even from those early days i was still you know slipping in an original number and that one was usually very well received so you know that was kind of one that was my main sort of focus in a way and so from that i then wanted to do a single uh, the Man with the X-Ray Eyes was the B-side, and the song called Fiction was the A-side, uh, which was kind of like um, uh, punky, new wave, crashing drums, that kind of thing. Um, and uh, maybe even a touch of Roxy music in there uh, at that point. Uh, so the record came out. I got a bank loan to do this. And uh, the bank manager had said to me, well, I've never ever given anybody a loan to do a record, so I hope it goes well. Uh, <laughs> um, sent the copies off, uh, promotional copies off to radio stations, that type of thing, uh, agents, you know, whatever. And, uh, of course, one to John Peel. So, uh, and thankfully, John Peel ended up playing the, the record. He played uh, Fiction. He made some comment about um, uh, getting uh, fish and chips in Cleethorpes. Uh, and uh, kind of that was it. I mean, he had a reputation. He would just, you know, put these things on and play them. So uh, although he did did have a reputation for listening to everything he played, so he'd actually um, already played it, so he knew what was coming when when he heard it. Uh, So that's how it ended up on on the Peel programme. I mean, I sent copies to the music press at the time, which doesn't really exist now, you know, New Musical Express, Melody Maker, Sounds, all the kind of outlets, um, local newspapers. And and, uh, in fact, the record was uh, put together by Dead Good Records, um, which was a Lincoln-based company. Um, And uh, that's just kind of a local sort of uh, link to it. yeah, so that's how it came to be played on Peel. And uh, if my career, music career, plummeted, uh, if it were to plummet after that, I would. I thought, well, I'm, I'm happy. John Peel's played something. 
on his Radio 1 programme. And when you look back, thanks for that, Stephen. When you look back, um, what would you say was the gig, biggest gig that you played around that time? Um, biggest gig I played? Um, from kind of importance, I was part of the um, Grimsby Cleethorpes Live Aid concert. I've recently actually been uh, had some old VHS tapes digitised. So I've, I've got... Um, I had a hand in actually putting this concert together. It featured about 20 of the area's bands of the day. Um, and that, that was one heck of an event at the Cleethorpes Winter Gardens, kind of sold out, packed. Um, and it was just, um, you know, even now people talk about it. And this was in 1985, you know. So it's kind of one of those events that is certainly memorable, you know, for me. In, in, a, in a number of ways and mattered a lot of people and it led directly on to me um, ending up writing for the Grimsby Telegraph uh, a weekly yeah I was know. going to ask you about that Steve about how yeah. how the writing came into your life obviously yeah. for the Telegraph and latterly for the um, yeah. Lincolnshire Echo how did you get into that I was always an avid reader of the music press uh, Thursday lunchtimes when I was working I would go to WH Smith's and I would buy religiously Melody Maker, New Musical Express and Sounds. I would just buy those every every Thursday lunchtime, uh, sit and eat my sandwiches in the office and go through these and then, you know, look at them when I was at home as well. So I just had something about, you know, music journalism that, that appealed to me. Um, I got friendly with um, the guy, David Martin, who was at the... Uh, Grimsby Telegraph, who, who was the music correspondent. Um, and he basically, he asked me, he was moving to a new job in Norwich and he got in touch and said, look, you know, you've got quite an extensive knowledge of uh, all kinds of stuff. Um, would you be interested in doing, a, you know, the column? Because it's called the South Bank Show and uh, it was kind of an um, institution for musicians in, in the Grimsby area. Uh, and that's it. I thought, yeah, yeah. So, it's, so I was asked to write a test piece, basically, which uh, they printed the test piece. I was just writing a test piece in my head. I uh, wasn't expecting to see it in print. Uh, so they printed that, and then they, they um, I say they gave me the job. That sounds a bit more formal. They just said, right, okay, you're writing it from now on. And I wrote that column weekly for about 23 years. And uh, <laughs> so... The other thing that I, which involved me over you know two and a half decades, different age groups of people. So you know, young bands that were coming would get in touch with me. Some of the older bands that were still around would get in. So I kind of you know crossed the divide a bit between um, different uh, different ages and styles of music. Uh, after that, at one point, I was doing the. Um, Grimsby Telegraph, and also uh, I then picked up a, a column at the Lincolnshire Echo fortnightly. Um, so I was doing that one. In fact, I've written, I've been thinking about this. Um, I've been writing a music column for the last 33 years um, on a weekly slash fortnightly basis. Uh, and uh, it's only kind of started to dawn on me a little bit of... Um, the amount of, I mean, I've got a lot of the cuttings and what have you. Uh, I'm a bit of a, an archivist, I think, of uh, musical stuff. Um, so that's, that's really how it, it wasn't, um, I just sort of stumbled into it. 
Yeah, and um, uh, who who have you really enjoyed sort of interviewing as part of that um, column over the years then, Steve? Okay, what I discovered was, and I didn't know this before I started, you could get free albums, okay, so from record labels. So all you had to do was make contact and say, oh, will you send me the new Bob Dylan album or whatever? And I could get stuff that I liked. Um, I didn't know this. And then I would get, um, you know, things just sent to me randomly through the post and uh, or lists of CDs saying just put a tick next to the ones. For, this is for review purposes, um, the ones you want to, you know, you want to receive. Um, so that, that was great. And then that kind of, so that started. And then I would get calls, obviously the publicity people out there, press agents, what have you, would say, oh, so-and-so's got a new record out. Uh, would you want, uh, do you want to do an interview with him? Uh, oft, often by telephone, sometime in person, um, or people touring the area. So over time, I was kind of offered uh, various people. Um, I wasn't one, I'm not kind of starstruck or anything, but I, I mean, there's certain people I admired. So uh, I remember, um, so telephone interviews, for instance, would be like Paul Rogers, which uh, I was a big fan of Paul Rogers. And um, in fact, he sang to me down the telephone. Uh, and he asked me, because um, I asked him about, getting free to reform and he said well who would who would replace paul kossoff you know so we had, we had a kind of interaction uh with that uh, noel redding the Jimi hendrix experienced bass guitar player uh, again uh, phoned me from ireland um so it, it's stuff like that or i'd meet people in person uh peter green um i met um steve marriott those edwin star i sat with edwin star while he was um, prior to his engagement in Cleethorpes and uh, while he was having a meal. He said, oh, come sit down and we'll chat while I'm eating. Um, so, you know, just just moments like that, really. I mean, you know, not, not planned again. And uh, um, I, I found, you know, people would kind of come to me. This is, I, I should say, this is all pre-email to be honest. I mean, it's mostly, you know, the letterbox. And when I, if I'd been away on holiday and I'd come home, there'd be, you know, a pile of CDs waiting for me and uh, various correspondence and uh, uh, occasional books and what have you. So it kind of all developed. I just kind of, um, what did I do? I sort of bathed in it. I think, you know, I just, it was just all part of the um, doing that particular job. The thing I need to say, Ian, is, of course, this is not my, this, this is my evening, my pleasure job. My day job was working in public relations. So I was at um, Lincolnshire County Council um, for uh, in, uh, PR manager there for many years. Um, so I, I was sort of versed in journalism. Um, and uh, so th it's kind of a slight connection there. It's just a different subject. So I was used to promotion, publicity, writing press releases. So they all kind of, um, again, no great master plan. It all kind of seemed to, you know, make sense. Brilliant. And how did you find your way um, into um, more kind of folksy, Kaylee-based music over the years, Steve? Because the f that's the first time I met you. I'm, I'm trying to think. I can't remember the first time we met, hmm. but I'm sure it was on that circuit I, I, somewhere. Well, and... I remember the first time I saw you, actually. You were playing. Um, I followed you on at one of Andy Watkins's Lincoln Folk Festivals at the Lawn, and you were you played a song. 
and uh, or a couple of numbers, and I, I came on next. Um, you obviously clearly don't remember that, but that's that's kind of the first time I sort of saw you. I must have said hello to you or whatever as you came off and I went on, but um, uh, that's the first time. But what actually happened? So uh, I wasn't, I'd sort of packed in playing probably around, you know, once I, I okay, so I was in working in um, Grimsby, uh, came over to Lincoln to work. And it kind of carried on, uh, carried on from there. I've slightly lost my thread there, Ian. <laughs> so much kind of going on. No, it was um, about oh. how you oh. kind of crossed over, yeah. really, from that more sort of poppy, new wavy, yeah. Uh, yeah. independent sort of music into okay. the um, the folk music that I associate right. you with yeah. on, on, you mm. know, uh, latterly, yeah. really. I'd always shied away a bit from folk music because I... I'd, I'd, just thought it wasn't quite for me. Although in reality, when I, a lot of the rest, the artists I liked were kind of folkies or folk influence. So there's no reason why I didn't. But what actually happened was um, I moved here to Nettleham, working in Lincoln, and a friend of my wife's um, was in a folk band, and uh, he'd asked me about, and uh, you know, why don't you come around one night and uh, you know come and jam with the band, sort of thing? I'd kind of been out of playing live music and wasn't, you know, obviously uh, two growing children, married, you know, mortgage to pay, lots of commitments. I um, wasn't sure I had the time, uh, but I eventually he asked me a couple of times. You know, phoned me up, said, "Oh, come around." You know, Sunday evening we usually get together, uh, and I went around one night. I'm now into the nineties. This is kind of mid nineties. Um, well, late, later in the 90s. And uh, so I turned up and uh, I didn't really, um, expect a lot, but I actually really enjoyed it. And uh, it kind of went off from there. So this was Plowman's Bunch. So we, um, you know, I got back into my sort of, you know, what I'd been doing like, I don't know, 20 years earlier. I'd kind of uh, got into the mode of, you know, we should do a gig or something, you know. Uh, and so we did seemed to go well there were seven people in there. um so a big band to to uh run um not that i was kind of running it i tended to do the organizing of it and uh it sort of went from there so okay so we started doing uh, i'd never played a i'd never been to a barn dance played a kaylee or anything like that and m the music was a bit unfamiliar to me some of the you know what are standard tunes uh, i didn't know but I kind of got a grasp into it and just really enjoyed it. And then, you know, you know, started, you know, writing a song uh, again. So here we go, you know, again, songwriting um, and got the band to play some of my songs. So, of course, I got back into playing with the band and then the inevitable, you know, wanting to do one or two original songs came out again. Um, so I, I managed to. Well, I didn't have to persuade the guys. I just said, oh, I've got a couple of songs here I think might suit us. Uh, played them, agreed to include them in our performances. And it sort of went on from there. And then, you know, we did some, uh, well, three three CDs. Uh, they crop up on eBay from time to time. Uh, and it uh, just carried on. And, and we did loads. I mean, we were all had our day jobs. And we did loads of Kayleys and gigs and it just um it almost uh well it did actually uh 
become a little bit too much at, at some points, you know, playing every weekends and uh, odd, odd ones maybe slotted in during the week. Um, so, you know, there'd be some kind of tensions around, you know, should we accept and play this one? Uh, we, at one point, we went off to uh, Texas for a week to play um, three dates. Um, we'd go down to um, Wells-by-the-Sea in Norfolk, um, for two or three years for an annual uh, big festival and things. So, we, 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 you know, there are certain things uh, and it's quite a commitment and all rehearsals were um, held mostly at our house. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that's that's kind of the, the Plowman's Bunch uh, saga. We actually called it a day um, a couple of years, about three years ago, two or three years ago. We just kind of came to a natural kind of finish because during, as, as the band went on, there was a little turning point for me. As the band went on, I was offered um, an opportunity to, uh, as a solo soloist, because I've done various solo CDs as well, which were kind of running side by side. Uh, I was offered the support slot for Vin Garbutt uh, when Foldingworth was running. I got a call from Andy Watkins, who runs that, who ran that club. And uh, I couldn't do it because Plowman's Bunch had a gig. And I just thought, oh, that's a, you know, because Ben had a reputation for, you know, putting bottoms on seats, you know. And I thought, oh, that's a really good opportunity I can't do. So my kind of Plowman's Bunch activities were restricted a little bit. Um, and I then kind of evolved more into doing um, solo uh, things and solo support slots and that kind of thing. Yeah, and I know that... Um you extended that interest in writing to support others through mm -hmm. the right note and also as if you weren't busy enough i suppose became um involved in the busking yeah. festival locally again did you want to yeah, say a little yeah. bit about i mean those, these things um, yeah the way involved. i mean they just evolve you know it's not a plan i mean the right note i um i embarked um about 15 years ago on a creative decade i um had a kind of change of um direction in that um, I took a, a redundancy package which and uh, access to a pension, which then um, gave me freedom to do some other things that I'd wanted to do. And part of that was the solo stuff and, and recording. Um, so that's, that's kind of really how that uh, all kicked off. Yeah, and I mean, you've been um, such a large part of the local music um, community in so many different ways, Steve, and encouraged so many people over the years. I'm going to um, say, so, if I can, I mean, that leads on, you're probably segueing into this, but leads on to the right note and things like the Busking Festival. Um, what, what I would say is, um, I mean, the right note, so on this creative decade that I embarked on, I really wanted to do a lunchtime sort of music session um, and involved the library, Lincoln Library. That was my thing. I was, I'm a big library fan. So I, I just approached them and said, oh, is there any chance of using um, the exhibition room? You know, mid, it was initially we held it on a Wednesday lunchtime uh, because there was lots of evening open mics and uh, Wednesday lunchtime was just a bit different. And I used to get people who were working shifts saying, oh, it'd be handy if you did one in the daytime, you know. So I just did that to be slightly different. I'm a bit of an organiser just by nature. I don't know, again, I don't go looking for it, but if 
if some kind of opportunity arises. Busking Festival is, I just was approached, they needed somebody. It's run since about 2002, 2003. And the previous chap to me, Liam Robinson, um, was uh, leaving that to do some other things. Um, so I've been involved in the Busking Festival what seems like about eight years probably uh, organizing it i was just asked by lincoln big you know they were kind of in a bit of a hole saying your name's been given to us as the man most likely to take on the busking festival <laughs> so it's really not um and so i sort of fell into that one really i'm a bit of one of those people just contact me if they want to know how to get a hold of a band and things and, and uh yeah my usual question on all this I get about the busking festival is what makes a good busker? And uh, I usually say it's nothing to do with musical ability usually. It's to do with whether you can capture the attention of that person walking past you within about five seconds. You don't necessarily need to be a good musician to do that. Um, and I always cite the case of uh, Music Man at Nottingham who played the xylophone for many, many years. He's unfortunately dead now, but he's got a blue plaque where he used to stand. But uh, he was a fantastic busker, but a terrible xylophone player. But people liked him. So that's the analogy I usually just give for busking. It's great if you're a brilliant musician, uh, but sometimes it's lost on uh, the busking scenario. Yeah, and I, and I can remember when we were talking um, initially, just setting this up, Steve, I think you made reference to the word infused with um, music. I mean, it's been um, such a consistent thread in your life and you've played in so many um, different local venues. Um, what would you like to say about the value of music for communities, pubs, local economies, uh, people's sense of self-fulfillment, et cetera. What, I mean, it's, you know, in some ways it's, um, it can be a bit intangible, mm. but, but what would you like to say about what it can bring? Well, to a couple of things. Life? Music is, I've always said music is therapy, actually. It just kind of takes you to another place, either playing or listening to it. Um, and one of the things that strikes me is uh, growing up in Edmonton, whenever anybody left the classroom, uh, we would sing collectively, So Long It's Been Good to Know You uh, by Woody Guthrie. I didn't know it was by Woody Guthrie at the time, but it was just a memorable song and people sometimes would be a little bit upset, uh, some of my school friends, you know, somebody leaving that they didn't really want to leave. Now that song, So Long It's Been Good to Know You, has been in my brain ever since those days that it just had an emotional impact on me, uh, singing this song. So now that I'm, you know, mid-60s, um, that song still resonates for me as much as it did when I was eight years old. So that's something that kind of maybe demonstrates the power of music. It just kind of gets in there and um, just um, leads you, you know, takes you forward in life. Yeah, and um, I'm, I'm sure, I mean, your your mind must be full of fond memories. I know it's dangerous to ask, but have you got any kind of fondest memories from all that involvement wow. you'd like to share um, with us? <laughs> um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, a couple of things stick in my mind. One is, um, is Estonia. I went to a festival in Estonia on a freebie, uh, plane ticket provided, uh, which featured... Um, 
and Estonia had just uh, gone independent from Russia. Um, so I uh, went over with a, a rock band, Fahrenheit, and uh, Bob Geldof um, was appearing, Kid Creole and the Coconuts, Runrig, uh, Alison Moyer, all kinds of people. And uh, we all shared um, the same plane flight, and it was not a... Um, luxurious plane flight it was an estonian airways very you know no frills i'm going to call it so that was quite you know sharing a plane with all these different musicians uh, was quite an experience um and one that uh, sticks in my head uh, otherwise gigs um I'll, I'll stop there but would you say that was the best festival you were ever at or would there be other um, festivals well, you'd like to talk about? When you say festivals to me, I tend to think of the 1971 um, Festival of Traditional and Contemporary Folk, which is held near here in Lincolnshire, near Tupham Abbey, uh, which had a fantastic bill. James Taylor, um, Tom Paxton, all kinds of you know contemporary uh, people um, came to play at that one. Uh, so that, that's one, and that's a Lincolnshire one. And then, of course, there was a, the Great Western Express Festival in 1972, which had rock bands and, you know, people like the Beach Boys, Rory Gallagher, Joe Cocker playing. It was kind of like a Woodstock-type um, festival. I wasn't at either of those, but I've written songs about them both. So that's kind of my um, link. And, and so there's, there's a couple of festivals um, that uh, stories. Yeah, and I don't know whether people are aware, but Lincolnshire really blazed a trail for the um, outdoor festival in the um, in the sixties. It kind of road tested them. I know the Who played, didn't they, down yes, at yeah. um, Sinsel Bank? Yeah. And we had those festivals. Uh, Tom Lane's written a great book, and I also know that um, the Heritage Centre in yeah. Bardney obviously yeah. um, has got some memorabilia and photographs related to that. Mm -hmm. If anybody's interested yeah. in finding yeah. out more, yeah, it's a fascinating. Uh two-year sort of window that uh, these festivals were held in Lincolnshire. Uh, and, uh, the, yeah, and if you out there on the internet, you'll see photographs and, uh, um, and there's some bootleg tapes of the performances. But, yeah, quite, a, quite an eye-opening um, arrangement, array of artists. Hmm. So, Steve, if you could bring any musician from history home for a pint or a cuppa, who would you invite and why? I would invite, I've mentioned him actually once already, Woody Guthrie. I just think it would be fascinating to sit down with him. He's a guy who wrote songs not for monetary gain. He just wrote songs so people could sing them. Um, he didn't have any kind of business sense. In fact, he was pretty unreliable generally. Um, he's the kind of guy who would you know, leave home to go buy a packet of cigarettes and not come back for a week. It was that sort of character. But he had something about him that, that um, just captured, uh, well, it's captured me because, as I say, I'm, you know, I've been aware of him, you know, since being, uh, you know, six, seven years old. Uh, so I, I think he would be quite entertaining. It might not be um, comfortable because he was prone to, um, you know, fly off the handle and what have you. So... <laughs> Uh, it's not, you know, it's one I would kind of welcome and ask him a few questions, you know. Uh, I mean, if you write, this land is your land, and you don't get anything from it financially, uh, that's quite a thing, isn't it? I mean, it's probably America's 
alternative national anthem. And uh, yeah, it's, it's quite amazing, really, how he just wrote this stuff. Travelled around, a bit of a hobo at times, um, and and just kind of went wherever the wind blew him. I mean, it's quite quite a story. So what actually went on inside his head? Um, I mean, he was accused of being a communist and all kinds of things. But uh, yeah, and he had a lot of personal tragedy in his life as well, um, with his uh, family and, and what have you, uh, and died of Huntington's career disease. So it's it's um, which is a hereditary uh, condition. So it's quite a tale, really. So he's my he would be my choice. Yeah, thanks for that. I could imagine that would be a really yeah. interesting evening, all right. Um, but you, I mean, you've you've led a very interesting um, life I'm yourself um, and I'm in music here. and beyond, Steve. <laughs> Great, and 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 how? If people wanted to find out a bit more about your music or um, about your experience, where would they contact you? Strummingstevejackson.com. I've got a Facebook page. I've got a YouTube page. Um, I'm, I'm sort of out there. There's no difficulty really in getting hold of me, as you say. My um, actually, my website's on mentioned in the echo column at the end every time it appears. Um, I, I'm socially active on the internet, so no difficulty really in uh, finding me. If you want to know more, uh, one or two of the albums you can are on YouTube as well. You can hear them for free. So there's a Woody Guthrie thing. We'll just put them out there and. Uh, People can enjoy them or endure them, whichever uh, they choose to do. Brilliant. And what would you say to anybody out there that um, is thinking about taking up a musical instrument or has been playing for a while and wants to get their music out there? I think a couple of things. You've got to decide what it is that you're wanting. If If you want to learn an instrument, I would suggest something I never took my own advice here. Lessons are a really good helpful thing to do uh, music lessons so if you're on a guitar you know go to somebody and learn some chords and things or if you want to sight read you know go get some lessons to sight read so i think it's sort of taking the advice um and and also determining what it is you actually want to do i mean do you want to be a uh, you know just a a, a not a part-time gigging musician and you're happy with that and there's no reason why you shouldn't be or are you looking to make some kind of music career again you know that's something you've got to investigate you almost need a business plan for that if you're relying on it to pay your mortgage especially in the current climate um, the chances are pretty um, pretty minimal um, so I think and it's also just a case of for me just to um, be yourself and find your kind of level of what you do if you're presenting music to other people, what you do that they like about what you do. Um, not a case of just, you know, plowing your own uh, furrow and, and just saying, oh, well, take it or leave it, this is it. Um, so I think it's, it's a bit of a two-way uh, process for me. I always say just, you know, find out what people um like and there's so many tools now certainly on the internet that you can use to promote your music uh different sites i mean i take advantage of those and um uh, to get your music out there so people can then you know if, if they like what you do or they want to book you for a gig or, or whatever and uh, then you can do that um so i think it's just kind of have a have a bit of a pre-think um 
And in a way, my kind of musical life has been a bit like that without the thinking. You know, I've just got together with some friends, done the band thing, uh, and then kind of found out what I'm sort of good at, which is the organisation side of things. In, in my opinion, I'm just giving you my sort of views now. Uh, and, and Yeah, brilliant. And, and and I mean, obviously, our wings have all been clipped this last year, um, you know, musically with the pandemic. Um, and we've all been a bit at sixes and sevens since March. Performers throughout the industry have been amongst the hardest hits. Uh, have you got any tips that you'd like to offer to the people of Lincoln and Sinsel Bank to help us all keep surfing the sixes and sevens at the well, moment, my, Steve? Um, I suppose my tip is be yourself, really. Um, is, is would be my tip you just do do what you're comfortable with you don't have to do you don't have to be a full-time touring musician you know find out what especially if you know or you can concentrate on your career your day job and uh, you know get trained up and you can fall back what i've discovered with music is you know I, i've been around a long time really but you can kind of go back into it you don't have to be constantly doing it i've actually found just not not this isn't a contentious point, but the COVID break I've found quite helpful because it's given me an opportunity a bit just to have a rethink about certain things music-wise or lifestyle-wise. Uh, and uh, so I'm not, you know, constantly gigging. And I've actually enjoyed not constantly gigging um, and enjoyed the freedom and, and the time to just do some, you know, creative stuff. So that's, I suppose, a bit of my uh, message. Be yourself. Thank you. Mm. And, and finally, Steve, if you could pilot an aircraft over Lincoln with a big banner attached to the tail, what slogan would you wish to write on it for the people of Sinsel Bank and Lincoln to I see? Once, I, did, uh, I didn't pilot a Dakota, but I was a passenger over Lincoln on a Dakota flight over Lincoln. And um, I did... Uh, I came off the flight a little bit greener than when I went on, I can tell you that. But no, my slogan would be, um, I think I would use that, go back to the two-word be yourself um, slogan. I think that's just, um, you know, find out your kind of level um, and uh, what you're good at and um, be yourself and kind of carry on in that. So in a way, what this whole session for me, I suppose, is me being myself, you know, based on where I grew up, or, you know, where I moved to um, and how on the, it's mostly been about music, but how the music thing has developed and little tangents I've gone off to. Um, and you find other people, what I think the thing to say is other people will come to you um, if they recognise something that you do that they like or how you might be able to help them. That's why um, the right note sessions at the library um, that got me opportunities to kind of play with other people um, and you know to share some musical um, exchanges and that type of thing. So I, it's just um, it's all part of life's um, cocktail shaker. Yeah, brilliant. Well, Steve, listen, thanks a million for your time this afternoon. I could speak to you all afternoon and I hope it, it won't be too long 
before we're able to um, meet face to face, perhaps yeah. in one of the locals yeah. over a pint and sort of exchange um, more chat about all of this. But I know that people find it fascinating. Thanks, thanks, thanks. very much for your time. Um, I really for asking appreciate me, Ian. it, and uh, it's yeah, it's kind of made me think about a few things actually. Uh, this and this, by the way, is my first ever podcast participation. So um, again, I'm you know an old guy still learning new stuff. Well, like myself, Steve. But listen, it's okay. been great chatting to you. And, and enjoy the rest of your week. And hopefully it won't be okay, too long mate, before yeah. we meet. Cheers. Bye. Take care. Thanks for listening. If you'd appreciate some one-to-one mentoring or coaching support to make a change or to find work, please give me a shout on 07534 444 601. Also, look out for our Development Plus Zoom Christmas celebration. Carols, anecdotes, Christmas jumpers, corny jokes, poetry, all reflecting the diverse communities represented here on Sinsil Bank. Be great if you could join us on Zoom Monday the 14th of December at 7.30. Ring me on 07534-444-601 to get the joining codes. Oh, and... We've signed up an extra special celebrity guest in the run-up to Christmas. So watch this space. All the best and take care. See you down the track.